Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Amen. If you have your Bibles, grab them and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. six where you have it, I want you to say, I've got it. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began, everybody say, began. A good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. How many of you love God? Yeah. yeah. If you're watching, I hope you're clapping. I hope you're celebrating and saying that, yes, you love God. But I'm, I'm grateful to God just to be alive. Amen. Amen. The old saints will say, you don't know what he's done for me. He's given me the victory. And then they say, I love him. I love him. I really love, I really love the Lord. Amen. And I'm grateful to God for another year of life, health, and strength. I celebrated a birthday this week. Amen. And uh, amen. I appreciate that. Uh, but I was saying that to say um, that it almost didn't happen. And um, anytime you can get up uh, from things that tried to kill you, you owe God a praise, not just in your house. Amen. But in his house. Amen. The reason why we come to church on Sunday uh, is not just to get a word, it's not to worship, but it's to give testimony to the devil that everything he tried during the week didn't work. Uh, that if I can show up to God's house one day a week, then God will commit himself to showing up at my house for the rest of the week. Amen. And so the devil tries to keep you out of the house of God, uh, but you got to fight, 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 and fight some more. Amen. To make it into the house of the Lord. Amen. And so um, I'm here uh, in spite of what the devil tried to keep me out. And I'm grateful that you all are here as well. Amen. Amen. Uh, I, I want to preach for a little while using as a subject. Paul says, for I am confident of this very thing. Thanks, Justin. That he who began a good work in you, began a good work in you, will 
perfected. The King James, New King James says completed. Even until the day of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want to preach for a little while uh, using as a subject, uh, he's not finished yet. Amen. He's not finished yet. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus' name. He's not finished yet. Um, many of us have goals, dreams, hopes, and aspirations. We have things that we've declared before God we want to see him do. Is there anybody here under the sound of my voice watching online that can testify? I got some things that I want to see God do in my life. I have some goals that I've set. I've got some uh, aspirations that I want to accomplish in my life. But I figured out that the reason why many of us have aspirations and things that we want to do that go undone is not because the devil fights us. It's because we have an inability to finish what it is that we start. Many of us are people who will create great goals and create beautiful vision boards and have many New Year's resolutions and different things that we say we're going to do. But then now when we look up and we're almost three quarters of a way through the rest through the year and we only have a little bit of 2021 left, how many of those things are really being accomplished in our lives? How many of those aspirations are really coming to fruition? And it's not because there's so much satanic attack. It's not really, beloved, because of the pandemic. It's not really because of all of these other things that we try to attribute it to. It is simply because we lack the ability to finish what it is that we've started. And I don't know who I'm preaching to in here, but is there anybody here that's been plagued in the past by inconsistency? You've been plagued in the past uh, by an inability to finish what you start. I know you don't want to say amen too loud because you don't want people looking at you crazy like you're the person that doesn't do what they said. But is there anybody here that can say, I've had to battle with inconsistency. I started to go to school and then I stopped. I started to apply for that job and then I decided not to. I started to do things a certain way, and then I decided against it. And it's not because uh, 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 the devil made me do it. It's not because uh, people were forcing me to quit. I quit because I have a problem finishing what I start. And we have inconsistency, beloved, inside of us. Yeah, but not only do we have inconsistency in us, we have consistent inconsistency around us. Because how many of y'all know that you feel like if you really look at your life and you really examine your life and you really look at what you're going through, you start to feel like Carlos Santana in that famous rock song, I don't have nobody that I can depend on. I don't have anybody that I can lean on. In my times of trouble, why am I always the one that someone's shoulder to cry on? Why am I always the one that's praying for somebody? Why am I always the one that's giving some Someone some good advice and helping them come down off the ledge of depression and pressure. But when I feel like I'm about to call, uh, call it quits and when I feel like I'm about to lose my mind, I don't have anybody that I can lean on. There is no consistency around me. People make promises that they don't keep to me. They tell me they're going to be there and then they're not there. They say that they got my back and then when I look around, I can't find them. And not only do I have to deal with the inconsistency in myself because I at times let myself down, but even when I'm letting myself down, I got to deal with people around me letting me down. I have inconsistency in me. I don't finish what I start. I have inconsistency around me. People don't finish what they start. And because of the inconsistency in me and the inconsistency around me, I often don't achieve and complete my goals because we are people who are fickle and funny and phony. And when we get an opportunity to walk away from something easily, we'll do it because the truth of our lives is we as people do not finish what we start. That is why many of us will not achieve our goals because we don't have the ability, the capacity to finish what it is that we've started. And many of us know what it's like to look back over our lives and have 
hobbies that we didn't follow through with, dreams that we didn't follow through with, businesses. I have friends, uh, uh, and I, I looked at a meme this week and I laughed and I texted one of my buddies uh, because I saw uh, a meme this week that said, not one of those people that tried to get me to join the pyramid scheme years ago is rich today. But oftentimes it's not because the scheme or the strategy did not work. It's because many of us don't have the capacity to stick to something when there is no immediate gratification. And if we look back over our lives, we can see things that we started and didn't finish. Yeah, we, we, got, we got history. We got skeletons in our closet of things, Brother Herman, businesses, conversations, visions that we started and did not finish. But the truth of the matter is that even though we have inconsistency in us, even though we have inconsistency around us, the beauty of our lives, beloved, is that we serve a God who will always finish what he starts. Yeah, God, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're dealing with, no matter what we go through, no matter what we encounter, we serve a God that will finish what he starts. Yeah, I know that's not a shout news, right? That's not prophecy of a car or some new clothes or, or, or some Gucci socks going to magically appear in your dresser drawer when you get home. That's not that kind of word. But, but the truth of your life and the reason why you should be able to shout in the midst of circumstances like we're in is because God finishes what he starts. That's good news. Why is that good news, Bishop? It is good news, beloved, because if you look at the situations around us, if you look at the circumstances in our culture, it would look like God is through. If you look at the condition of the White House, if you could look at the condition of the Senate, of the government, if you look around the world, forget that. If you look at your house long enough, you'll start feeling like there has to be more than this. Uh, God, 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 I can't end it like this. And God says, you don't have to end it like that because I'm not done with you. How do I know that God is not done with you, beloved? I know that God is not done with you because you're still alive. God, help me. And the reason why you're still alive is because God still has something that he wants to do in your life. I wish somebody would, would believe that in the building. The reason why you made it through depression and through trouble and through pressure and through anxiety and through being broke and through being lonely and through being frustrated and through being disappointed. The reason why you made it through that is because you serve a God that is not through with you. He has plans for your life. God help me. And God will not allow you to die until his assignment for your life has been completed. He finishes what he starts. And, and whether you know it or not, beloved, that is the message of this particular passage of scripture. Paul is writing this letter to a Philippian church, this young church. Uh, this is actually the very first church that Paul ever started. Paul starts this church and he has to leave them and he's sitting in a Roman jail cell writing this letter encouraging them that God finishes what he starts. You missed it because if you caught it, you would have shouted. Paul is writing to them from prison to encourage them that God is a God that finishes what he starts. Okay, I didn't get not one amen, so I'm going to say that one more time. Paul the Apostle is writing this church from prison to encourage the church that God finishes what he starts. Okay, let me help you. Uh, the reason why that's important is because Paul is not writing this uh, letter from the Ritz-Carlton. Paul is not writing this letter from his uh, bishop's office in the back and in, in, in palatial comfort. Paul is not writing this letter from a nice place. He's writing it, writing it from jail. He is confined, but he is still finding a way to believe and through his belief encourage somebody else that God is not through. God help me. And somebody needs to understand that you cannot allow your situation to dictate to you how much you believe God. Paul says, I'm confined in my body, but I still believe that God is not through with me. And some of us are confined in our mind. We're confined in our finances. We're confined in our marriages. We're confined in our relationships. We're bound and we're in jail and we're allowing our 
mental and emotional and spiritual incarceration to prevent us from believing that God can do more. But God wants you to know just like he used Paul in prison, he still wants to move through you. Even though you seem like you're locked up right now, God says, I'm not through with you. I can still speak through you. And Paul says, I'm in confinement, but my confinement does not stop me from fulfilling my assignment. God is still with me. God's hand is still on me. God is still working through me. God is still operating in me. And Paul says, I've got to praise him in prison because I believe that some of my circumstances, God, help me. They might have taken my freedom, Stanley, but they didn't take my memory. God, help me. Look at what Paul says. He says, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He says, I thank my God in my every remembrance of you. Is your Bible open? Paul says, every time I remember, I thank God. God help me. Uh, Paul says, I'm in jail. Uh, but every time I remember, I thank God. Because sometimes, hear me, your life situation can take your freedom. I just told you. But you don't have to let it take your memory. God help me. You can still remember his goodness. And you got to develop a testimony that says in spite of it all, he's still been good to me. God help me. Yeah. Yeah. He's still been good to me. I, I have much better than I deserve. And, you're be, and you're be able, beloved, I've told you this before, you'll be able to express gratitude for everything when you understand that you don't deserve anything. Yeah, when you understand that you don't deserve any of what you have, you'll be able to thank God for everything you have, even if it may not feel like what you want right now. You know, it might not be what I want, but it's better than what I deserve because I should have been dead. God help me. I, I don't know who I'm preaching to. I wish I was preaching to some people who had been through some stuff that could really testify from where you're sitting, where you're watching, where you're listening from, that I don't deserve better than what I got. God has been better to me than I deserve. And the reason why I can praise him, Paul says, and I can thank him in the midst of my prison is because I understand that even though it's bad, he's still been good. But not only that, verse 6 says this. He says, I'm confident. This messes me up because I'm trying to figure out how you're confident when you are confined. Paul, explain to me how you are confident and confined. How, how you are bound, but you still believe. God, help me. And Paul says, I might be confined, but my confinement doesn't shake my confidence in God and his power to finish what he started. Paul says, look, wherever I am, it's not an obstacle to God. And somebody needs to get that. Because you feel like your situation is an obstacle to God. No, your situation frightens you. It doesn't frighten God. God, help me. Yeah, your situation surprised you. It didn't surprise the Savior. Your situation made you feel like, God, help me, like you were not going to be able to recover. But God says, I've had my finger on the pulse of your situation since its beginning. It's never been outside of my control. You might have been surprised by what you lost and what walked away from you and what you got let go from and what you can't find anymore but God says I knew it was coming and I prepared your destiny for it he says God's going to complete what he starts and he's so confident of it he says I'm confident that he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it will complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ yeah Paul says look it's, it's, it's he who began, watch this, it's not any work. It's a good work. This is not a blanket promise. You know how we say like all things work together for good and we quote that as a blanket promise, but that's not really the promise. The promise is all things work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things don't work together for the good of everybody. And it's just like this. He, he who, who has begun a good work 
in you will complete it, right? This is God's promise that God will finish what he starts. Not that God will finish the things that you start and put his name on after the fact. Yeah. This is not a promise that God will finish the things that you started in his name that he didn't have anything to do with. This is the promise that God will sustain and cover and bring to full maturity the thing that he has started in you. And that's important because many of us are mad at God because God won't co-sign the things that we started that he never told us to start in the first place. Yeah, many of us are upset with the Lord because the Lord will not come to bat for and defend and protect and provide for things that we've started that have nothing to do with him, but everything to do with us and our ego and our inability to work for somebody else. Me, Really, a lot of frustrated entrepreneurs are really employees that are in rebellion. Yeah, uh, a lot of frustrated entrepreneurs, people who have started businesses and are frustrated, it's because they really don't want to take orders from anybody, but God has not anointed them to have their own thing, so they try to start their own thing so that they ain't got to report to nobody, but now they're frustrated because they found out that when you work for somebody, those checks come on time. When you work for yourself, those checks only come when you work for them. Huh? And some of us are mad at God, won't come to church now because your business is failing. And you need to understand that God never told you to do that. And he's not obligated to bless everything you do in his name. He's only obligated to bless and finish what he started. So then the question has to be, is this something that God started? Because if God is not in it, then I don't need to be in it any longer. God help me. See, see some of us don't really want to uh, uh, examine our lives with that worldview and from that viewpoint because there are a lot of things that we'd have to disengage from. If we ask ourselves, is God in the midst of this? Is God involved in this? Did God tell me to do this? And then there are some people that don't want to admit anymore that God told them to do it uh, because if God tells me to do it and then I stop doing it, now I'm in disobedience. Yeah, there are a lot of people who said before the pandemic, uh, this is where I'm supposed to be. Not this specific church, but this church is where I'm supposed to be. This ministry is where I'm supposed to be. This service is where I'm supposed to be serving. And this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But the pandemic changed your confession. And so now we got to ask the question, if your confession changed and God doesn't change, who was lying? You or the Lord? God says, I finish what I start. And not only do I finish what I start, Isaiah 40, 29 says that I will give you the power to finish what I've started in you. Because he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Do you hear what I'm saying? So Paul says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ. This means, and it's very simple and I'm done. This means that if God started it, no matter how impossible it looks, no matter how hard it's been, and no matter how untainable and unreachable it may seem, if God started it, God will bring it to pass. If God started it, he will bring it to pass. So then the question becomes, how do I identify whether or not it is something that has been initiated by God? I'm going to help you. It's real simple. If it is by God, it may bless me, but if it is by God, it is ultimately for him and for his glory. That's it. If it is by God, it may bless me, meaning I may gain wealth from it. I may be able to feed and take care of my family with it. I may be able to buy nice things because of it. That's a byproduct. That's not why I'm in it. 
The way I know it's from God has nothing to do then with how much money I gain from it. That's why I need prosperity preachers to stop lying to people and telling them that your amount of physical possession has something to do with your faith. Because I know some of the most believing broke folk that you've ever met in your life. They believe God and they don't have but just enough. Tell the, the Afghani Christian, as the Taliban is going now this week from house to house, murdering people who will not give up their confession of faith. Tell those people that their lack of wealth determines that they have no faith. Yeah, how much money you have has nothing to do with whether or not God is in it. God is in it if it brings him glory. That's how it's in it. And, and, and glory to God is not simply, hey, I want to interview you about your business. Can you tell me about your business? Well, first of all, God did it. That's not God getting glory. God getting glory, let me help you. The word glory in the Greek is the word doxa. And is where we get the word, is where we create the word doxology in worship. But really, doxa is glory. And what glory does is glory displays, puts on display the attributes of God, right? Glory does not make God great, but glory shows off its greatness, right? Glory does not make God strong, it shows off God's strength. Glory does not make God beautiful, it shows off God's beauty, right? And so when something brings God glory, me doing that thing reveals to the world a greater picture of who God is. People see God clearly when God gets glory. <clears throat> That's a dangerous concept, though, to introduce because now you've got to ask the question, is God really in a lot of the things that I'm doing? Because how many of the things I'm doing bring God glory? Do you hear me? Yeah, because God is only required to bless and assist that which brings him glory. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's only going to finish what he has started, what he has commanded you to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's only going to be what he wants. And so I know it's God, if you're taking notes, I know it's God because... It is for God and to God. It brings him glory. It makes his name famous. Do you hear what I'm saying? Your personal fame may be a consequence of it, but it is not the end goal of it, all right? So God finished what he starts. Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So this means that the obstacles to the completion of the work don't matter. Because what's an obstacle to me is not a hindrance to him. See, we think that the things that, stop, that can stop us can stop God. But the beauty of our lives is simply this. God is not limited by what limits us. God's limitations are not my limitations. Do you hear me? Or my limitations are not a limit for a limitless God. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. God says it does not matter what it looks like. The obstacles aren't going to stop him from doing what he said. Why is that shouting news for us? That's good news and shouting news for us because I got some stuff that looked like it could stop me. Some of you can look at your credit report and see obstacles. Some of you can look at your bank account and see obstacles. Some of you can look at your transcripts and your resumes and see holes and obstacles that should stop you from getting to where God, want or to where God said you're going to be. But the truth of the matter is, if God has called you to it, there is nothing that can stop you from getting where he wants you to be. But not only that, not only are the obstacles no obstacle to him, my lack of faith does not stop God. Let me help you. God is not God because you believe in him. 
I, I want to help you. I was watching a movie. Um, it was a movie. And uh, in the movie, Joe, uh, the age of the gods was coming to an end. And the reason why the age of the gods was coming to an end is because man had decided not to believe in gods anymore. And because they decided not to believe in gods anymore, the gods started dying. But how many of y'all know that God is not dependent on your belief in him to be God? God is not just the God of the believer. He's the God of the non-believer too. God is the God of the entire universe. And so what does that mean for us, Bishop? That means that you don't have to believe God will keep his word for God to keep his word. Because the Bible says, I know, Bishop, you sound like you're making that up. Okay, the Bible says that even when we are faithless, he remains faith what? Full because he cannot deny himself. God says, if I made you a promise, I don't care if you stop believing, I can do it. I'm still going to do it because I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Now, for y'all super saints that never lose faith in God, that never feel like God uh, uh, has forgotten about you and never feels like God is through with you, this may not be for you. But if you're a little bit like me and every now and then you wonder if God is still with you, every now and then you go through so much hell and you have to deal with so much heartache and pain that you wonder if whether or not, whether or not God is still on your side. If that's you, then this is a word for you because God says, I don't need you to believe God help me you're allowed to have a crisis of faith you're allowed to sometimes feel human and like you can't do it anymore and like you don't have any more strength you're allowed to have those moments because even when you don't believe I will still keep my word to give you strength to go on a little longer and some of us have been through enough with God not to love him because he blessed us when we believe We've been with God long enough to remember times when we didn't believe. And because we didn't believe, we didn't deserve his blessing. But he blessed us anyhow just because he said he would. Okay, y'all don't get it. Uh, I got to tell you a story to help you understand what I'm trying to say. My dad told me not that long ago, probably about a month ago, a story about something he did for my nephew Gabe who he and my mother helped raise. Gabe lives at times with my mom and dad, and uh, I'm going to tell y'all that I can see how my parents do him, and he gets away with a whole lot more than we would have got away with. But be that as it may, my father reminded me that he told my nephew that he would do something for him. He made him a promise. Now, my nephew had gotten messed, had cut up in school the week that my dad made the promise. And so the whole week, my nephew was on edge. He didn't think he was going to get what had been promised to him because of his behavior. But here comes Friday. He opens up the garage, and the thing that my father promised him is sitting in the garage, even though his behavior said, I should not get what I had been promised. I asked my dad, I said, Dad, had that been me, I wouldn't have got what you promised me. And he said, yes, but... I've gotten a little bit older now, son, and I understand that sometimes it's best for me to keep my word because if I keep my word based on your behavior, I'll never keep my word because your behavior is inconsistent. But I've got to keep my word even when your behavior is inconsistent to show you that I'm a consistent father even though you're an inconsistent child. Come here, let me help you. God says the reason why I keep my word to you even when you don't deserve it is because I'm trying to show you that even when you're faithless, you still serve a faithful God. Yeah. Not only are the obstacles no uh, uh, obstacle to the completion, not only does my lack of faith not sway God, but check this out, uh, whether I'm cooperative with God's process or not, he's still going to do it. See, because some of us feel like uh, if we stand up and stiffen up and throw a spiritual temper tantrum, that that will stop God from doing what God said he's going to do in us. But how many of us have lived with God long enough to know that God will send situations in life to break you down until you comply with his will? God will frustrate every relationship. He'll get you fired off every job. He'll make every friend walk away from you. He will tear your life apart until you get to the place where you say, okay, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And some of us have learned that that's the place of peace. Because when I put it in God's hands, God's response 
responsible for it. But if I leave it in my hands, then I'm got, I've got to be the one to make it come to pass. And some of us know that we're too crazy to have our own destiny in our hands. God, help me. Okay, y'all ain't going to say nothing, but I'll testify. I don't need to be in control of my own destiny. I don't need to be in control of my own future. I don't need to have the, the, the destiny and the future of everything in my hands because if I do, I'll mess it up because even on my best day, I'm still a screw up, but I'm so glad that it's not in my hands. It's in God's hands. And I've learned like the old gospel song, whatever the problem, God help me, I put it all in his hands. Whatever he can solve them, I put it all in his hands. Then they get happy and say this, God help me, and that, God help me. I wish I had a church in here. This, this, God, okay. Uh, he says put it in his hands because he can handle it. Yeah, and I don't have to cooperate. God will beat me into submission. And how many of us can say that God has used the frustration of life to beat us into submission? We didn't like it while it was happening, but we learned that the best place for us was in submission to the will of God. Yeah, that's why when we commit bodies, we submit to the will of God. But that's not just in death. Every day when you wake up, you have to submit to the will of God. Uh, this is a shameless plug for corporate worship if you're watching online. But can I tell you why corporate worship is important? It is because it is an act of submission to God. See, your attendance in corporate worship is not just about you getting fed. It is not about you benefiting from the service. Preachers got to stop promising y'all that it's going to be an off-the-chain worship experience every week because sometimes it's going to fall flat no matter how much we prepare. You come to church because you are sending a message to the devil that this part of my day, this part of my week, has been submitted to God. It sends a signal to the devil that this is God's time. And yes, you can have God's time at your house, but it means more when you get up out of your bed, when you prepare yourself for worship. Everyone wants to talk now, and it's crazy now, Brother Herman, we get new ideas, right? We get the Bible, which is more than 2,000 years old, and we read it, and we get new ideas, right? So we read it, and because we ain't never read it before, we just let somebody tell us about it. We never took it home and read it. We start coming up with stuff like, oh, the church is not a people or a place. It's a people, and I don't have to go to the place to be a part of the people. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of true, but it's kind of not because there's never been a time when God had a people and that people did not have a place to worship God. There, there's never been a time in ancient history, church history, or modern history where the people of God did not have a place to come together collectively and worship God, right? Oh, well, the, well, the Bible says they met from house to house. Yeah, they met from house to house because they were small enough to meet from house to house, and there were no places for them to corporately worship God together. But now you live in America where we have large gatherings and we have large spaces and we have places where we can come together and worship God. We have those places now. That's why you need to be in the house of God. And sometimes God allows stuff like this to happen, like the things that are happening in our lives, the things that are frustrating us, because he's trying to bring us to a place of greater submission to his will. We, we are the only religion, Christianity, is the only tradition of faith where we grade people on the curve. You are either a Muslim or you're not. It's not you're a good Muslim or an okay Muslim. You're either a Jew or you're not. But only in Christianity can we say, I'm a believer, but, you know, I don't do everything I believe. There can't be a disconnect between your submission and your behavior, between your belief and your behavior. You have to believe right and then show that you believe right by doing right. Amen? So God will break me so that I can become what he's destined for me to become. Okay, 
Bishop, it seemed like you got off subject talking about submission. How can I help you understand this better? Um, the next level of your life, the place where God is taking you, that place that you're praying for God to take you, right, that level of prosperity that you're asking God to give you, you cannot survive on that level without obedience, right? Uh, there, 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 I have a hobby, and um, I'm not going to tell you all what my hobby is because I don't want you all to judge me, uh, but my children want to now join me in that hobby, and everything that I've read said that it is safer if I introduce them to that hobby and they're not introduced to that hobby by someone other than their parents down the road. And so I got a book, I bought a couple books on how to introduce my kids to this hobby slowly, safely, and surely. And the first thing that they told me to do with my kids before I ever let them touch anything, before I ever take them with me anywhere, before I let them do anything, it says, teach them the rules of safety. And so I taught my kids a little song about what they should do. Uh, I taught them the safety rules, and every now and then I'll just ask them out the blue, uh, tell me rule number three. What do you do if this happens? And they'll recite it to me. And so yesterday I'm doing it with my son because my son follows me everywhere I go. Doesn't matter where I go, doesn't matter why I'm going there, he'll find me wherever I am. Y'all know how like Mike Myers always find his sister? Like, it don't matter how far. Or, you know how Jason always finds somebody killed. He even went to outer space and found, like, my son Joshua Stephanie will find me like that. He'll be in a dead sleep with the covers pulled over his head, and I'll go, Daddy, where you going? But anyway, he was with me, and so because he's with me, I say, son, what do you do if this happens? Sing these rules for me. And he gets mad and he says, Daddy, why do I have to keep singing these rules? Why do you keep telling me to repeat these rules? And I say, son, because on the next level, I'm not going to have time to remind you what they are. You've got to know them on this level so that you'll be able to operate on the next level. And some of us are wondering why we're stuck on this level. God says there's a level of obedience that's required on the next level because you're going to be exposed to so much more. Yeah, I ain't got to give you a whole bunch of rules on being broke because being broke is the rule. You can't do this because you ain't got no money. That's the rule. I ain't got to teach you no steps to that, right? I ain't got to really teach you rules on how to be successfully single when you can't find nobody. Like, I ain't got to teach you, like, celibacy and purity right now because don't nobody want you. But when I get you to the place where you're not broke and when you are desired, you've got to be able to govern yourself. So y'all laughing at that. Don't nobody want y'all. But some of us can say, we didn't get delivered. We just aged out the game. Huh? <laughs> Look, my wife will tell me, she'll, she'll be like, you don't never shimmy or nothing for me. You don't never do no. I said, baby, it's because I watched YouTube and found out I, I'd aged out the system. I don't even know. <laughs> like, some stuff I don't even need to. Y'all go, bless your hearts. <laughs> Y'all go for it. Enjoy yourself. You know, some of us didn't get delivered. We aged out. But that's why we can't be blessed now because we didn't get delivered. God says, I want you to be delivered so that I can trust you with what you want. <laughs> some of us don't understand that you'll disqualify yourself by not being submitted to God where you are. Because if you can't hear me with minimal distraction, if you can't submit to me with minimal distraction, you won't be able to submit to me when people are pulling on you from the left and the right, all right? Okay. So the obstacles won't stop him from doing what he said. My lack of faith won't stop God from doing what he said. My cooperation will not frustrate God out of doing what he said. And then lastly, time, everybody say time, won't keep God from doing what he said. Look at what the verse says, and I'm done, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you 
We'll perfect it. We'll complete it. We'll bring it to pass even until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ, it is the end of days. It is the day where the sun and moon are recreated and there's a new heaven and there's a new earth. And that's, that's, that's the day that he's talking about, to put in perspective. So this is what he's saying. He's saying even if it takes him until that day, God is not going to allow time to wind up until he keeps his word. It does not matter how through it looks. It is not through until God does what he said. Okay, I really want to help y'all get this. God says time is no obstacle. Why do most of us trip? It's because we feel like we're running out of time. But God says you can't run out of what I'm limitless in. I am not limited by time, so you can't run out of time waiting on me. Okay, uh, you, you don't get this. My mentor uh, was preaching for a very well-known apostle in Texas, and the apostle asked him uh, to stay, Krishana, over another day and preach another service because the meeting had gone so well. And the meeting... Uh, was running into another engagement that he had. He said, no, uh, Apostle, I can't stay because I'll miss my flight and I won't make it to my destination. He said, it's cutting it too close. Uh, I've got to fly out. And the Apostle says to him, man, how you going to miss your flight and I own two planes? He says, stay with me, preach a little while, and I'll make sure that you get to your next destination on time. My mentor is still tripping. He's saying, okay, really didn't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. He gets there. Service runs long, but just like all black preachers, things go well. So he decides he's going to sing a couple songs, lay hands on a few people. Meeting runs a little bit longer. He needs to be in the next city by that evening at 8 o'clock. But then he gets there to the airport and finds out that all of the commercial airlines are being delayed on the tarmac. He's irritated because he feels like he's not going to make his flight because all of the commercial airlines are delayed on the tarmac. But he gets to the airport and something interesting happens. Rather than going into the garage, they drive through a gate on the side directly onto what looks like the runway. And while the other planes are being delayed, it looks like the plane that he's getting on is getting ready to take off. And he asks a question. He says, uh, I thought that all those airlines were being delayed. He says, yes, but the private, air, uh, the private aircraft have still been cleared to take off. And he says, they might be waiting, but their delay has nothing to do with your departure because you're playing by my rules and not theirs. God, help me. I, I wish somebody would understand it. God says, when you're waiting on me, it does not matter what's happening in time around you. I'm going to make it happen for you no matter how long they're waiting. That's why you can't get mad when your neighbor gets something before you. You can't be mad when people get blessed around you. You can't be upset when it looks like Things are working out better for other people than they're working out for you because God says, I want you to understand that I'm going to do it no matter how long it takes. And somebody needs to know that. You've been waiting on God and you're wondering how long I'm going to have to wait. How much longer is it going to take? How much longer is it going to be before God delivers me from this? But God told me to tell you that no matter how long you've been waiting, if God started it, he's going to finish it. If God said he's going to do it, then he's going to bring it to pass and somebody needs to understand that if God is going to finish what he starts then that means I've got two responsibilities number one is I've got to trust him until it comes yeah yeah I've got to trust him until it comes it does not look like it's happening it does not feel like it's happening it does not seem like God is doing anything but I've got to trust him until it comes. God help me. What is trusting him until it comes looks like? Well, you trust that chair because no matter how much you ate last night, you still believe when you sat in it, it would hold you up. So when you saw the chair, what did you do? You didn't ask it a question. You just 
rested. God, help me. And when you trust God, when you, when you really trust God, you put the weight of your situation on him. God, help me. You put the weight of your concerns on him. You put the weight of your worry on him. You put the weight of what you're going through on him. You rest it on him. God, help me. Is there anybody here who can say, I'm learning to trust in God. God, help me. I'm learning to just fall out on, okay, uh, y'all don't get it. Some of us uh, don't understand it. Yeah, uh, but let me help you. This is probably not for many of us in here. Uh, this is probably for some of our, uh, our, our less uh, melanated and lighter colored brethren and sistren, but I want to help somebody nonetheless. Hear me. Uh, I was in Target uh, not that long ago. I was picking up some medication. You know it had to be some medical because I don't shop in Target because Target is too high. Target is the place where wives leave their husbands to die. I'm traumatized by Target. I don't go in Target because Target is where husbands get abandoned by their wives. Uh, and so I, I don't like going in there. And when I go into Target every now and then I see a situation uh, that makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. You know, if you were one of those well-beaten, I mean well-disciplined children uh, growing up, when you see less disciplined children make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, make the back of your head get hot because you can feel a palm back there. It's like PTSD. And so I was watching a child uh, clown with their mother and uh, they were acting crazy with their mother and uh, they were trying to get the baby to get up and go. The baby had sat down in the aisle. Check this out in protest because the mother would not buy them the snack that they said they wanted and so the child sat down God have mercy in the middle of the aisle in protest and so the mother was wrestling with the child and wrestling with the child I'm standing I'm like ah Oh, you need to, uh, I got to mind my business. And so uh, the mother reaches down and picks up the child and she says, stop it and picks the child up. And the child does something crazy. The child stiffens up and falls out. And the child falls out and the mama did something that blew my mind. The mama called her. I said, oh, baby, don't do that. And I said to myself, I didn't say it to her because it was none of my business. I said it to myself. I said, the reason why that child does that is because you catch them every time they fall. And because they know that every time they fall, you're going to catch them. They're willing to just fall out, God help me, in your arms because they know that no matter what happens, they can trust hear me, that you're going to catch them. And that's what trusting God is like. Trusting God is like having the same audacity of that child with your heavenly father. To just get into the middle of a situation and stiffen up and fall out on God. Because you know that just like that mother caught that bad child, God is going to catch you. And how many of y'all know that you can testify that there were some times where you didn't deserve to be caught, but God caught you anyhow. That he should have let you fall, but he kept you up. God help me. You've got to trust him until it comes. Trusting means I'm going to depend on him. I'm going to lay out on him. I'm going to believe him until it shows up. But then the second thing is I have to be willing to glorify him when it's finished and tell everybody. This is how I glorify him. I have to tell everybody that God did it. God helped me. I have to be willing to give the testimony when it's all said and done, that God did it. God help me. Oh God, y'all don't get it yet. You, you. The reason why God gives you the spotlight, because we have an anti-spotlight theology. We feel like God does not want us to be famous. That's, that's not the truth. Now I can argue everybody is not going to be famous, but God does not have a problem with you being famous. As long as when you are famous, when you're in the spotlight, when you get the attention, you can give God the glory. Yeah, because God has never had a problem putting the spotlight on people who would give him the glory. That's why he says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he was speaking to people who did not know him, but they knew Abraham. God help me. They knew Isaac. They knew Jacob. And he could say that the God that did those great things for them is who I am. I am that God. And sometimes God is waiting to raise you up and put you in a place of prominence because when you get famous, when you blow up, you'll try to write a book. You'll try to host a conference. You'll try to tell everybody that you got 12 steps on wholeness and healing and you got a, a practice that they need 
need to subscribe to and all this other stuff. And that's cool. If that's how you're doing it, get yours. But sometimes I wonder if God is really in that because it's promoting too much of us and not enough of him. Some of us, God says, I'm waiting to expand you until you're able to say everything that happened to me that's worth celebrating. God did it for me. God help me. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but is there anybody here who can set to, who can testify that I am here because I serve a God that has smiled on me. He's been gracious to me. He's kept me. Yeah, that's how I that's how I praise him. That's how I glorify him. I testify in the middle of my situation that God is the one who did it. Paul said it this way. Paul says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ. And it does not look like he's going to do it still. It looks real bad, but God said, I'm still going to make it happen. And I don't know who I'm preaching to. Oh, God. But I, I got to close it like this. I, I really was wondering, uh, honey, how I was going to use this in a close. My son uh, practices, uh, plays football, and he has practices during the week. A couple weeks ago, we had a week. Uh, worth of lightning storms over in our area and uh, one day it was getting really bad and I was driving over to the field and I said I wonder if they're going to cancel this practice because it's lightning out here and I don't want these babies out here in this lightning and so I get to the field and I ask the team mom, her name is Shannon and I say Shannon, uh, are we going to be alright with this lightning? Are the boys going to be okay to practice? Shannon looks at me and says Mr. Eggerson everything's going to be fine, send Joshua out there to practice. I said, wait a minute, Shannon. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's lightning in the sky. I said, you want me to send my son out there to practice when there's lightning over there and I can hear thunder in the air over here. She says, go ahead and send him out to practice. I said, you got to tell me, Shannon, why it's going to be okay for me to send my son out to practice when it's thunder in the air and it's lightning over there. She says, the reason why you can send him out to practice, Mr. Eggerson, is because we looked at the forecast and it may be lightning over there and it may be thunder up there, but the storm is passing over. God, help me. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but God told me to tell you, you might hear uh, thunder over there. God, help me. And you might see lightning in the air, but God told me to tell you that the storm is passing over. God, help me. He's getting ready to do, God, help me, what he said he's going to do. And I don't know who I'm preaching to, but somebody needs to testify. Somebody needs to get excited because the storm is passing over. God, help me. The storm is passing over. God said, no matter how bad it looks, he said, I'm getting ready to turn it for your good. God, help me. And is there anybody here who can give him praise right now because the storm is passing over? Grab somebody if you're at home and tell them say neighbor say I'm looking for bright skies because I believe that the storm is passing over is there anybody here that can testify and say in spite of what it looks like the storm is passing over it might be cloudy out there it might be thunder in the air but I dare you to declare a new forecast and say up above my head I hear thunder but I also hear music in the air look at somebody it's COVID now so you can't touch them but look at them and say say neighbor up above my head I hear music I hear music in the air up above my head I hear music in the air there must be a God a God somewhere find somebody and tell them say neighbor I believe he's gonna do just what he said be not dismayed, whatever, whatever be tied. God will, I said God will, I said God will take care of you. Is there anybody here 
that knows he'll do it. Yes, Lord. He'll bring it to pass. He'll make your enemies leave you alone. He'll open up doors that no man can shut. He'll make ways out of no way. He'll be food on your table. He'll be clothes on your back. Is there anybody here who believes it today that knows that he'll do it? He'll come through. Yes, he will. Is there anybody here who knows he'll come through? Y'all don't want to testify, so I'll call my own witnesses. There was a widow in a town called Zarephath that only had a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal, and she was going to cook it for her and her child, and they were going to die. But the man of God said, make me make me a cake first and then you and your son will eat and the woman did what the man of God told her to do and the Lord came through for her and the oil didn't run out and the meal never ran dry is there anybody here that knows he'll come through the children of Israel were in the wilderness a long time. They were thirsty and they needed water to quench their thirst. And the Bible says that Moses prayed to God and asked God to give them water. And so Moses said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do to help your people. And God said, Moses, go. Take your staff. This is the first time now. And strike the rock. And when you strike the rock, I'll give you water to quench your thirst. And the Bible says that when Moses took his staff and struck the rock, that drinking water came from the rock because God will do just what he said. Y'all don't hear me. Y'all don't want to shout over there. Well, can I tell you one more? There was a man named Jesus and the world that was in sin and the world needed a savior. And so the Lord sent his son to die on our behalf and he went up the Via Della Rosa and he was whipped all night long he carried the cross up a hill far away yes Lord do y'all know about the cross it was an emblem of suffering and shame and I love I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of poor sinners was slain they hung him high they stretched him wide he dropped his head and then he died he died from the sixth to the ninth hour he died until the veil of the temple was torn in two he died until the stars fell from heaven he died until the angels cast their crowns down the round the sea of glory he died until the earth started quaking and rocking and reeling like a drunken man he died until the Roman soldier said surely this must be the son of God he died but how do y'all know that that's not how the story is because the Bible says that three days later 
he got up from the grave with all all power in his hands but he didn't just do it for any old reason he did it because God will keep him away is there anybody here who knows that he got up from the grave because God will keep him away God sent his son they called him Jesus he came to love, heal, and forgive. Yes, God, he bled and died to buy my pardon. But an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives is there anybody here who's glad he lives he lives he lives Christ Jesus he lives today he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way he lives he lives salvation to impart you ask me how I know he lives he lives he lives he lives within my heart if you're glad that he lives I dare you open up your mouth give him glory and say yeah Say 